Recovery is stupendous. Achievable. Hope. Freedom. 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 Empowering. It's unique to everyone. It's a journey, not a destination. Getting a new lease on life. Finding restoration after you fall down. Recovery is having the freedom to enjoy life. For me, it was finding a way to really love myself. My recovery is possible in part because of my own sense of purpose. Welcome to Montana's Peer Network Recovery Talks podcast. I'm Jim Haney. And I'm Andy Daniel. Thanks so much for tuning in to another episode. Today we're going to be talking about uh, three models for recovery. Yeah, you know, we we did a, a podcast a couple weeks ago about medication-assisted therapies or treatment. Um, and a lot of people know about the abstinence-based uh, treatment options, but there's also a concept of harm reduction. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And so today we thought we would explore the three of them, um, abstinence-based, harm reduction, or moderation-based and then medication-based, and maybe talk about the uh, pros and cons of each and our experiences, and um, just kind of have a dialogue about this. Um, This is embedded in some of our other trainings, and um, yeah, we just thought this was a fascinating topic that we would would bring to you. So, which one do we want to start with? Andy, where where do we want to jump in? Well, let's start with abstinence, because I think that's a pretty common one. Um, You know, a lot of 12-step programs, a lot of drug treatment programs will say you can absolutely not use these substances ever again. Right, right. Yeah, I think this one, this is kind of when when you're in the uh, substance use world, this is sort of like the standard. This is widely accepted across the United States. Um, that this is the model that should be used and is used. Recovery programs like 12-step programs, they're based in this abstinence model. And on the other side of the coin is uh, there's there's some addictions that this might not be realistic for. Um, Right. Things like like a food addiction. You, yeah. you can't be abstinent from eating. Exactly. Exactly. So um, uh, sex addiction would be another one that uh, you're, you're probably not realistically going to be abstinent the rest of your life. Uh, you might be for a period of time, say if you're going to a treatment program or you're in therapy, but probably not uh, the duration of your life. So I think while this one is definitely widely accepted um, that there's definitely some challenges here because what do you say to someone who has a mental health diagnosis um, who um, let's just say the person is bipolar and they experience uh, swings between mania and uh, being depressed Um, you can't apply abstinence to that right you can't just stop being manic Right. It requires a different approach. Right. And I think the other challenge that comes up is so if you have a peer supporter 
who, let's say, comes from, and when I say comes from, meaning their own life experience, is more harm reduction or moderation based. And now they go to work at a substance use disorder center who's abstinence based. There's probably going to be some conflict there. There's going to be a rub, right? Right. Because they're going to be talking to people about moderating and the program is all or nothing. You're going to do a UA and it's either going to test positive or negative, right? And yes. so then, then you have this, this rough going on. But on the, on the, on the probe side, it, it is widely accepted. And it's thought of as in substance use, that's the only way. But I uh, met a professional years ago, worked on a project with him, and he used a moderation recovery-based program for himself. And at first I was like, whoa, like, right. I was like, wow, like what, like, how does that work? You know, but I was open enough to have the conversation. I didn't just immediately go, oh no, that doesn't work. You can't use that. And, you know, so we had some dialogue about it, but yeah, my initial reaction was like, whoa. And my opinion has definitely evolved over time because in my own experience, when I first got into recovery, I was abusing alcohol to cope with my mental health issues. And I went to 12-step programs and I went to a treatment program and they all preached abstinence, abstinence, abstinence. And I utilized an abstinence-based program for my drinking. I have almost 25 years, you know, without a drink. I've used an abstinence-based program. And so I, I think for me, that was one piece of my recovery, one slice, if you will, that worked really well. But it does not apply across the board because as I, when I became a peer supporter and as I worked with people, I began to see how that model doesn't fit in all the time. Right. And, and so, if that was your coping mechanism, then uh, you need to learn new coping skills to replace right. that. And so if you right. just stop using that, you end up with all of that stuff that is yep. still wrong or a problem. Yep. And now you don't know how to cope with it. So Right. Right. And so thus <laughs> in my own <laughs> in my own life, right? My own recovery experience. So, yep, I'm going to stop and that's exactly what happened. So it was like building up this pressure. So there was this pressure to not use and get better, right? Yep. In the beginning, I, I didn't even use the word recovery, like get better, except it built up, built up, built up, built up. I made it 42 days and went out and used alcohol, abused alcohol and tried to kill myself and ended up in the hospital, right? Yeah. Because no one talked to me about, <laughs> you know, no one talked to me about what was I going to do to replace right. that coping? There was no talk about that. It was, no, you need to stop drinking and that's it. In fact, I, I even, I remember my, my doctor, my GP doctor, not, not medication doctor, GP doctor saying, well, you have a drinking problem. And if you stop drinking, all your other problems will go away. <laughs> that's exactly what he said to me. I remember that I was lying in a hospital bed and that's what he says, you know, and so there's, there's no skills. There's no, there's no skills. Nobody's teaching you any skills to cope with any of this stuff. And so well, how I've, possibly could it work? Like, how could that work? Right. Talk to people uh, in that sort of idea, um, people who have self-harm behaviors, expecting them to stop without having any other coping skill 
is unrealistic. Exactly. And exactly. just saying stop doing that is is not helpful. And so no. you can do things, you know, I, I've had therapists who have said, okay, I, I know this is how you're going to deal with stuff for right now until we build some skills. So let's yeah. figure out how we can, how you can do this in a safe manner. So, exactly. Um, exactly. And, and that's the moderation or harm reduction model. Right. Right. That's, that's using that model. Yeah. Because had somebody come to me and said, Hey, um, we understand you're using alcohol. We need to get you some other skills so you could replace that with something healthier. You know, I, I might not have ended up in the hospital and crisis center and, you know, all those things might not have happened to me, but no one did that. It was just, we're going to test you every day in this program. And, you know, you need to be clean every time you walk through these doors you know, or else, or else you're out of the program. Right. We're not going to help you anymore because you screwed up. Yeah. It's like, well, I thought I was here for help. I mean, it's really, the system really, I don't know. It, it To me, it needs a change that that line of thinking doesn't really work. And then we say things like, well, 25% of you will make it in recovery. The other 75%, you won't make it. Well, yeah, because Thanks. the model you're applying doesn't really work for everybody. It needs to be more flexibility. And I think, I think really feel like, you know, it's where peer supporters can make a huge difference in a program because you're going to bring your own life experience. You're going to see those things because, yeah, because then once, once I got introduced to a coping skill from a peer supporter, right, then all of a sudden I had something to kind of hold on to. And it's like, oh, you know, and I can begin trying this. I think of organizations like in Missoula, uh, Open Aid Alliance, you know, they're a harm reduction program and having something like a needle exchange, you know, that's a harm reduction program. And people who are 100% abstinence based don't really understand it, right? They right. like, what? Like, but it's like, no, don't, you know, you don't have to use those dirty needles. You can give us those we'll dispose of them properly here's clean needles that's an example yeah another example is um there are a few cities that are implementing these like safe injection sites or supervised injection sites so you can go to this place where you are allowed to use the substance in a safe environment so that they in decrease the chances of overdose. And the, and the studies have shown that even people who are not necessarily using that service are not overdosing as often. Right. And, and I think that this model works really well with mental health, co-occurring trauma. I think this model works really, really well where it's about moderating the symptoms or the effects, the impact that it's having. There's this definition that I found on harmreduction.org. It says it's an umbrella term used for interventions aimed at reducing the harmful effects of behaviors. And I thought that that's really good. That that really is what we're talking about and that you suffer from depression and we're going to try to limit the harmful effects of the depression. We're not going to say well, you should stop being depressed, <laughs> you know. Like, Wouldn't we like you know? to do that, right? It's yeah, not like we yeah. want to be that way. <laughs> right, exactly. You know, and, and another another part, I think, with the harm reduction or the moderation one, I, I think of the kind of from a spiritual place of the middle path or being centered, you know, being, you know, I, I think of that too, because that's kind of how I feel about these three models. I feel like, Abstinence is 
on one end of the scale. Moderation harm reduction is kind of in the middle. And then I feel like medication is on the other end. Like if it's, if it's a, if it's a spectrum of recovery. Right. And, and I don't know if that's just me. You feel that way? No, that, that makes sense. Yeah. That it, just relying on medication is, is maybe not the answer that there has, there, there is that middle ground between taking the pieces of each one of those things that works best for you mm-hmm. and helps mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. define what your recovery is. Cause I think that's right. where we end up like with the abstinence stuff, people will say, well, this is what recovery looks like. Right. Well, maybe right. that's not what recovery looks like for me. Exactly. Exactly. And, and I think as we transition to the medication one, right, I think that with the, the popularity or this big movement that's happening right now, which is the MAT program, medication assisted treatment, right, for yep. opioid addiction, the, the model is not just about taking another medication. It's not just about taking another pill. It's really supposed to be therapy and support built into it, right? Yeah. So that so that it's really not a one hundred percent medication based program. It's really about building these other skills, which again we talk about in the moderation one, which is you're going to take this pill to help with some of the symptoms of your abuse, but we're gonna also incorporate some therapy so you can begin to work on things and some support around that right yeah and so that it's more insulated and so i think that gets kind of forgotten about with the map programs that if you're truly running a map program you have to have those other parts this isn't just about doling out a pill to an addict right that's that's not what the program is like it's not that you know i think people have this idea of what methadone clinics are and you just show up and you get your mm-hmm your methadone and you go on with your life. And that's not really what those programs are supposed to be. Right. Exactly. And and that's not to say there aren't some of those around, right? right? Like I'm sure there are some of those and there are people who aren't implementing the other parts of it. I think the other thing with the medication one is for mental health, that's kind of the standard, just like we said with substance use and abstinence, that's kind of the standard for substance use. I think with mental health, if you go to your doctor and you say, I'm having anxiety or I'm depressed or I'm having these racing thoughts, boom, it's immediately a pill. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so I think that's kind of the standard. There's also the other part with the with the medication is uh, particularly mental health. There's typically lots of choices in medication. Right. Right. Like this yeah. is big business. <laughs> this is pharmaceutical. <laughs> this is billion dollar business here. There isn't one choice. You can choose Pepsi or Coke or. Mr. Pibb, you know, like right. there's lots of choices here, typically not one, one choice for yourself. And I think there's a lot of innovation happening in the medication world. I think the pharmaceutical companies are always searching for the next bigger, better pill. Right. You know, medications used to be, um, many of them, uh, so you couldn't take if like for a woman who uh, is pregnant. Right. Right. Yeah. So now the big thing is to make pills so a pregnant woman can take the pills. Right. So I think there's like innovation that happens in this in this realm. I think they're always sort of pushing, pushing forward. And I'm not trying to promote pills, you know, but I think there's a lot of pros in, in this particular area. Well, and and part of it is being educated about 
what it is that you're using. And and sometimes that's not possible. If you're hospitalized and suicidal and, you know, and they say this is what we recommend for you, sometimes you mm-hmm. just have to do that for that period of time until Absolutely. you're functional enough that you can explore things on your own. And right. so I guess in right. my experience, don't be afraid to say, you know what? I don't like what this does to me. Yeah. Can we try something else? Um, exactly. I think that's really important. I know for myself, getting on a new medication takes a while for it to kick in. Yeah. Doesn't, you know, it's not a Tylenol, right? Like right. you don't take it and <laughs> 10 minutes later, your headache's gone, you know, right? Like Yeah, there are a couple while. weeks to a month out usually, yeah. sometimes six yeah. weeks, yeah. Side effects, yeah, lots of side effects, you know, in this one, long-term medical issues. Yep. So being on psychotropics for a long period of time, we're seeing lots of liver damage, kidneys, heart disease, you know, diabetes, this stuff. I think the other thing that I've seen a lot with this one is it can be viewed as the only recovery tool take this pill and this is going to help your depression and right. there's no there's nothing else introduced to the model and it's just about taking this pill and then the person of course doesn't get better because that's it's more than just taking the pill right and so so then it's like oh well this pill's not working so give me a different pill or give me a second pill right and then so you're I, taking nine things every day because yeah yeah and so yeah. i think that one's uh can be it can be abused sold you know so people people often do that um they can also accumulate pills and use it to self-harm Right. Kind of stocking, stocking up, that kind of thing. When I think in, in the rural areas, sometimes it's just a necessity. You know, if if it's going to take me three hours to drive somewhere to see a therapist, how am I going to be able to do that? I'm not sure what the answer to that is, but. Telemedicine. Well, yes. Yes. I mean, I think, I think like that's what the whole state, you know, Montana, man, that's what we need to put in. We need to put in these. I don't know what you call them, these viewing centers or something, you know, where there are secured locations where people can go and have a a therapy session, even though the therapist is 300 miles away. Right. I I think you have to do that. But this notion of just one thing is going to help people. I I really promote my work as a peer supporter and, and in my own personal life. It's a total combination because I talked about the abstinence and the role it plays has played in my life. But once once I got some sobriety and wasn't drinking copious amounts of alcohol, then the mental health symptoms came right up to the surface. Right. And the self-harming and the suicide and all that. And so then it was a shift, right, to putting my focus into this harm reduction, you know, to going well, how am I going to keep myself safe, you know, and what am I going to use in place of that that's healthy and can be sustained long-term while I'm still abstinent from the alcohol. Right. And, and I went on medication, right? Yeah. And so for me, it was a combination of all three things and I was using, utilizing them in different kind of ways. Right. And once you get a, once you get a handle on one piece of it, then you can work on the next piece of it Correct. and then the next Correct. piece of it. Right. Exactly. And and it's very overwhelming. I remember in the beginning, it was like, oh, oh my gosh, all this stuff, you know, it was like, I got to what? I got to stop drinking. I got to start, stop self-harming. I, I'm depressed and, you know, I'm broke and like all of that sort of at once. And 
you know, so getting on the medication, going to therapy, trying to learn some new things, finding peer support whilst trying to stay sober, you know, right? Like that combo of things. And, and I, as a peer supporter, I always promote people exploring those and all three of them and figuring out what is going to work. And I like a red flag warning to me when people are steeped in just one of these, I kind of go, mm, you know, like, and, right. I'm not, and, I, and I don't mean to judge, I'm not trying to judge anybody, but like when they're just using one, I'm like, mm, like what happens long? when it stops working? Yeah. How long is that going to work? We're complex people. And I think as we mature through our recovery journey, we begin un- uncovering these layers begin to rise to the surface. And so, yes, you've addressed this, but now you have that, you know, because we didn't know before because it was covered up with all this abuse, you know, right? Like interwoven together. Well, yeah, I, and think, I, and I, I think you ahead. end up with this concept of, of failure, right? If, mm. if I can't meet all of sure. the things that this program says I should do, then I've failed. And I mean, I can, I can see it as, you know, that falling off the wagon thing. Well, Mm. I had one drink, so I might as well just drink all weekend. Well, or or, or I'll just drink for the next six months or the next year or the next 10 years. And you hear that in people's stories. You hear it all the time. It was the one, it was the one thing. And they, they made this decision to leave the path of recovery and, it's 10 years later and now they're back. I don't know, we just, we have this system. We, we really need this new different approach to it and a different way to address these things and, and it be, not be afraid to introduce these different models to people. And I think, yeah, just the whole, you know, if you think about criminal justice and, and you know, people who um, possession charges or, or DUIs, those kinds of things, we immediately make this assumption the person has a drinking problem. Right. right or drug problem like immediately well you, you're an addict you must be because you were drinking and driving right no not really i mean bad judgment yeah. yes but does it mean you have a drug problem or alcohol not really it doesn't mean that it might mean you're dysfunctional in your life and you make bad decisions when you drink but it doesn't necessarily mean that and we sort of force people into this treatment program and in a hopes that we get some great result and I think the results, for the most part, are actually really low. And that if we had a different kind of approach to it, and we taught people how to drink responsibly, right? Right. Yes. That that maybe we would have some different outcomes. That you know, this boozing it up on the weekends and just you know getting obliterated—it's not healthy for anybody, whether you have a drinking problem or not. And that at the same time, there is a way to have a few drinks and have a good time and be all right, but then not go out and break the law. Like, and I don't mean to pick on DYs, but you know, right. that's where we shove people into the system. And then they just sort of loop through the system a whole bunch of times. And then we give them these labels. They're a criminal, they're a felon, they're an alcoholic, right? And we give them these labels and then people absorb that and it becomes who they are. And is that really who the person is? I, I question that right. model and that kind of thinking. And maybe Especially people. people who, I mean, it's like their first DUI or something yeah. like that. Um, right. Maybe it's not a pattern right. of behavior. Right. And so I, I just, I don't know. I, I, 
that's one I'd like to see changed. And I think, again, this is where peer supporters come in and can bring some different things to the table and really begin to change the dialogue internally in programs and in systems and being a part of councils and boards to be more accepting of all of these different models and what you want to do. And it's like the, the opioid, the big movement that's happening to address this because it is such an issue across our country. We have doled out so many pills to people. You know, now we have to spend billions of dollars. And what seems to work with opioid addiction is stepping people down on medication, yet you have people who are like, oh, no, it's just abused, and they're just still getting high. And, right. and it's like, it's so, it's, it's false. It's bogus information. No one's getting high, you know, like, like there's a model that, you know, it's just another form of treatment. And it seems to be working, you know, like it, it seems to be, uh, I'm no expert on it, but right. that model seems to be working. It's widely accepted. And I think just a little more openness to all of these. The thing I like about the MAP program, I guess I'll add this, is it's meant to, to step people down. And I wish we could take that model and apply it to other diagnoses. Right. That this idea of you need to be on medication right now, but there might come a time where, you know, we could decrease it and kind of move you off of it because we've instilled all these other great skills and you have lots of tools now and maybe we can, we can get you off of this medication instead of just a lifetime of pills. Right. And then maybe at some point you're going to need it again. You can always go back. Yeah. You can always, you can always start taking it again. You know, and those of you who listen to the podcast know my own experience with this. And I just think that this idea that, well, you're going to get this pill, you're just going to take this pill forever. I, I don't like people's lives change. Right. And I think of my own life and who I am today versus who I was 25 years ago. I'm like a completely different human being. I'm different in so many ways. How can the same pill that helped me then still be helping me today? I, for me, I question that. So it's like, I don't, I think that we have to explore these things. And if people have found other, other avenues that work for them, then wonderful. And maybe we let go of some. And if you need to go back, wonderful. We'll pick it back up again. Well, and I feel Allow like, people. you know, you, you've talked about, you know, not taking pills for the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. I feel like you also, you know, personally, you're not anti-medication. And I think a lot of people end up that way. Well, this didn't work for me. And so no, nobody should ever take medication yeah. ever. Yeah. 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 No, 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 no. I think, I think that there is definitely a place for medications and we've said, you and I have said this before. I think when, if you find something and it, and it really is working wonderful, keep taking it. Or if you're acute, you know, if the situation is acute, I think there's definitely a place and time for it. But to be able to allow people to explore that and at some point moderate off of it, just like you do in the in the opioid program, you know, the MAP program, it's meant to step you down over time. Can you be okay without it? If you're not, okay, great. We can put you back on again. Right. But like helping people figure that out. But along the way, you're building them other skills. And so it's not just about taking a pill. If somebody has a bipolar mental health or a trauma, you know, trauma recovery, that's, that's going to take a long time. They're going to have to work on that over a long 
period of time in their life, maybe their entire life, maybe the medication is just for a period of time, or it's off and on throughout their life. That's, I guess, the way I look at it, instead of just forever taking this, helping people learn new skills. So I think we are about out of time for this one. Um, I think so. Yeah. This was a good, this was a, this was a good one. I've, I've been wanting to do this one for a while. So yeah, I think it, it really provides people with information about stuff they might not know about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think a little more insight and I would encourage you as a listener to think about your own recovery experience and where you fall in each of these. And I think of it as like percentages, you know, like I use a little of this and a little of that and a little of that. And it's a combination of things. And I would encourage listeners to explore for themselves yeah. um, that same process. So, yeah, thanks for and thanks for listening, as always. One more thing. September 6th, we have our recovery conference. Yep, in Helena. In Helena, the Delta Marriott 9 starts at 9, runs to about 5, 5.30. Workshops, lots of networking. We got all kinds of giveaways. We'll be recording some podcasts, too, yes. if anybody's interested in, in being yes. a guest or even just a little five, yeah. ten minutes or, or whatever. Yeah. So so we'll have that exactly. there, too. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Andy and I are hoping to do some, do some podcasts at the conference, which will be fun. Lots of people there. If you're a listener to these podcasts, come to the conference and come on up and say hello and sit in and join the conversation we'd love to have you september 6th delta marriott helena members mpn members you get in absolutely free right Um, we hope to see you there thanks for tuning in yep thanks for listening bye-bye recovery works and recovery is possible recovery works and recovery is possible recovery works Recovery is possible. Recovery is possible. (laughs) Recovery works and recovery is possible. Recovery works and recovery is possible. Recovery works and recovery is possible. Recovery is possible.